Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. I wanted to discuss some auction news as we are nearing the auction season. I can't believe that it is already October. We're really hitting that last quarter of the month already. And that means that the winter auction season is coming upon us with many cool auctions being announced um, and some cool pieces being on show in preparation for the um, auction season. Obviously, the Geneva auctions are the ones that sort of start up first, and so there's been some news about some of the pieces that are going to be part of the auctions in Geneva from the major auction houses. That'll obviously be followed by normally Hong Kong and then the New York shows. I wanted to discuss two auction houses today, one being Christie's and one being, the other being um, Phillips. As I... um, was able to actually experience uh, one of the um, exhibitions at Philips where they showcase some of their highlights from their upcoming Geneva auction. And then I also wanted to discuss Christie's who have announced a very, very cool watch that they're going to have in Geneva um, that I think is honestly everything that I feel like I stand for um, in uh, when it comes to watches. So I was so excited and really passionate about um, about that. So um, I'll start with Philips and we can go into Christie's next. So the Geneva watch auction for this year is going to be taking place for Philips um, on the 3rd and 4th of November. And um, they have their sort of global highlights tour that's taking place right now. Um, from the 29th of September to the 1st of October, they were in New York. Then from the 2nd to the 6th of October, they're in Hong Kong. 13th to the 15th, they're in Riyadh. 17th and 19th, they're in London, and then they're in Singapore from the 20th to the 22nd. And they basically are showcasing some of the highlights um, that haven't really been published um, publicly on on the Phillips website, some of them. Um, And they give the opportunity to obviously some of their really great um, clients and and, and customers in the public to see some of the pieces that they're going to be auctioning. On their website, they showcase a couple of pieces. There's a really nice um, reference 6062 in stainless steel that is showcased there. There's also a, a first series 2499 in yellow gold that they um, have up as one of the pieces that they have um, selling. And a really cool, unique um, polychrome enamel dial by Anita Porchette in yellow gold from Vacheron Costa, which is um, obviously if you know enameling, we should really do a podcast just on enameling because it's um, such a deep uh, art that deserves its own sort of time to discuss. Um, but obviously, if you do know enameling, uh, that name is not new to you and you know how significant that watch would be. I had the opportunity to check out the highlights in New York and there were some really cool pieces that I got the opportunity to see. If you follow Life on the Wrist on Instagram, you probably saw our story, and there's a saved story on the Life on the Wrist Instagram. So I encourage you to go there if you want to see some of the pictures of these these watches um, as we sort of talk through some of the watches that we were able to see. It was a very typical um, sort of Phillips uh, exhibition um, on on the second floor with um, some really nice um, pieces on display. The first that I saw was actually a pocket watch. It was uh, Urban Jurgensen made for, um, made by uh, uh, Derek Pratt. And it was a really nice, um, very simple watch from 1985, I believe. 
uh, with Roman numerals, a large sub-second style at 6 o'clock, blued hands and a power reserve indicator going from 11 to to 1 o'clock. Really nice, crispy, um, crispy case. Uh, I got to see some. I got to see the movement, which was in really great condition as well. Um, a really nice way to sort of start off, and obviously a very significant piece in the um, in the uh, sort of larger uh, discussions of of uh, independent watchmaking and and pocket watches uh, from this era. Um, the next piece I had the opportunity to see was a reference 1526, which was the first serially produced perpetual calendar made by Patek Philippe. This watch was in really great condition. I felt like um, the dial was extremely clean. The the um, raised text on the dial was in really great condition. Um, Philips obviously curates watches that are in uh, immaculate condition, and I don't think this 1526 was any exception to that. Um, a really beautiful example and and obviously perpetual calendars from type fleeper so so in demand there was also a reference 530 uh which is a um chronograph made by patek fleep this one um was a um astro torino signed uh 530 which is significant in its own right again this watch was in credit in great condition uh hallmarks were really strong um and I think shows uh, again the caliber of watches that they were they were buying. I always liked the five thirty because for some reason, it feels like there's extra space between the edge of the case and where the text sort of ends, for the uh, tachymeter scale around the outside. And I think it kind of gives it a, a little bit of an interesting look, and the it doesn't uh, clutter the dial, um, too too much. I also really like this watch because on the lower right lug there was a little bit of oxidation, which is obviously something I love in watches. Um, so just an added little detailer that I really, really liked. Um, this was followed by a Serpico Tastitandi, which was incredible to, to hold in, in my hand. It was rose gold case, rose gold dial as well. So the combination of that with the Serpico Ilaino uh, dial was was absolutely immaculate. Um, between the five thirty and the Tastitandi, I'd probably go with the Tastitandi, but I think that's just because of the the combination of the pink gold dial and the pink gold case was just absolutely immaculate. Again, this watch was in great condition. Um, there was an oddball Patek Philippe that I thought was really really cool. Um, I don't remember the reference. I apologize, but if you look on the story. It had this sort of pocket watch-like case with these really interesting lugs that were attached to it that were quite um, delicate. And it had these uh, Breguet numbers, Breguet uh, um, leaf hands. The Breguet numbers were printed on the dial and you had Patek Philippe written by nine o'clock and Co. Geneva written by three o'clock. And it really split the dial in a very interesting way. The dial had sort of aged to this um, sort of light, light brown color. And then you had your um, seconds at 6 o'clock and a 30-second counter at 12 o'clock for a mono-pusher chronograph, which is what this watch was. It's such a... It was such a unique-looking watch. And then you looked at the lugs, which were sort of these, like, hinged... 
hinged pieces of metal that were on the sides of the case. It really reminded me of almost like a pocket watch. Um, but it was such an oddball, and I thought it was so, so unique, and I, and I don't know. I, th I think I remember reading that this was um, possibly unique um, in, its, uh, in its production, and being a monopusher chronograph, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> what, what more can you, can you ask for in that? So really cool um, vintage piece there. Um, there was also a, a very significant um, watch. There was a 2497, I believe, in yellow gold. That was really nice. There was some oxidation on the top uh, lug, again, in really, really great condition. I think the 2497 is such an interesting perpetual calendar from Patek Philippe because it is a lot thicker. If you compare it to the previous perpetual calendar we were speaking about, the 1526 is completely different, um, but almost brings it into the modern sort of space, which I think is um, an interesting way of, of dealing with things. Please go to the to our Instagram so you can see pictures of, the, of these watches. Um, it's worth it's worth seeing them as I sort of speak through them, but another really great um, great example there. One of the pieces that I absolutely loved was this Vacheron uh, Costa. I don't remember the reference, I apologize, but it has this really beautiful uh, pink gold uh, bezel with pink gold pushers and crown and a stainless steel case. You had a two-tone case with a two-tone dial with these really cool nipple dials with um, 6 and 12 being applied numerals, but really, really cool configuration. And for this Vacheron, you typically see these chronographs in, you know, kind of poor condition. This one was in Philips condition, absolutely immaculate lug, super, super strong. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't see Vacheron chronographs come up to auction too, too frequently, kind of like you don't see Automat PGA perpetual calendars come up for auction too, too frequently either. There's also a 2499 uh, signed by Bayer. I didn't get any pictures of that, but that was a really cool example. 2499 being one of the most important perpetual calendar chronographs Patek Philippe has made, signed by Bayer, which is one of the oldest, I think is the oldest uh, watch jeweler, jewelers in the, in the entire world. And then there was also a 1518 with, I believe it was a white dial and a yellow gold case, which is obviously gonna garner some, some interest. If I remember correctly, the lugs looked a little skinny to me, but again, I, I didn't actually, um, I, you know, didn't have something to compare it in person, but that was just on first glance um, for me. So some really great highlights. Those are only some of the, you know, I think I spoke mainly about Patek Philippe in this, in this, uh, which I apologize, um, but a lot of the highlights were from Patek Philippe. There were some really nice Daytonas as well. I think there was a Paul Newman. I there was uh, two stainless steel. Um, Daytonas, I think, as well. There was <clears throat> some vintage subs, I believe, as, um, as well. Um, there was, a, I think, a Cartier with, in platinum, I think, with the platinum bracelet, the original platinum bracelet from something like 1929, if I remember correctly. And then there were some independents. I think there was a Harry Winston, uh, which, was, which obviously has um, a lot of interest in, in that watch as well. So overall, I thought the exhibition was, or the, the preview was really great. It was nice to see some of these watches in person and really excited to see the rest of the catalog. Um, if you look at the highlights, I'm sure there's gonna be some really great pieces um, coming up uh, very, very soon. Um, so excited for that. I believe the auction catalog should be released this week. So stay tuned for that and just follow, follow Christie's 
um, to see that. Moving on to, or excuse me, fellow Phillips, we're going to move on to Christie's though and speak about their one of their um, auctions that they just announced, which is going to take place on the 6th of November, and that is um, the uh, auction's name is Passion for Time, an important private collection of watches and timepieces. The greatest private single owner collection to appear to market in recent history, assembled over a 40-year period. This is what I, what I just said. It is a single owner's collector collection that the person took 40 years to, to amass, and they're auctioning it off right now in, in, this, um, in this auction. This is such an interesting concept of an auction. You know, I think there are some, there have been these types of auctions before by, 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 um, by auction houses, but sometimes I feel like they get lumped in with sort of other auctions, which is fine. Um, but I do know in the art community, this happens quite frequently where a great art collector's collection will have its own auction where they'll focus just entirely on, um, on that person and the, and the collection that they were able to, to amass. And that's what we have here. Um, they named a couple of highlights, um, and I, I'll put a link in the show notes to the to the um, Instagram, Chrissy's Instagram post, so you can see um, the four watches that I'm going to speak about now, just to give you a flavor of what's probably going to come for this person's collection. Um, but what I really like about this is it's focusing on one one collector's journey through watches and what they um, amassed and what they um, felt was important for their collection to have over the 40 years that they've been collecting. You know, if you think 40 years ago, um, you're looking at uh, 1983, uh, which is a long time to be collecting watches, a long time to be studying this, and a long time to be amassing things and figuring out what should should and should not be in, in your collection. And I think along that way you you amass so many different stories about how you got pieces or why pieces were important to you or <clears throat> understanding the histories of each of the pieces that are in your collection um and it really resonates with me because i think that's that is what makes watches so so special is the fact that you can attach stories to each individual piece about how you came about adding it to your collection or where that watch had been throughout its lifetime um or where you were wearing that watch um, throughout your uh, time of owning it. And I think that's what Life on the Wrist is all about, is those specific stories. And they can be personal. Don't ha- They don't have to be these momentous, uh, you know, groundbreaking, write a history book about the story about this watch. It can just be, you know, your experience with it and, and why it's important to you. And that's, that's the significance of, of these watches to so many people. And it's what I kind of want to bring to light. So um, I'll speak about four watches that were sort of spoken about in the highlight in, in Christie's post um, about this auction. The first is, uh, and I'll kind of read it through, there's a Philippe Dufour Grand de Petite Sonnerie number one, which is a historic timepiece um, that really catapulted Dufour to the status of living legend. Um, the piece is also number one of only four examples that uh, made each unique in yellow, pink, white, and platinum gold, uh, gold, or yellow, pink, white, gold, and platinum, all with uh, white enamel tiles. Um, this being the yellow gold version of this. 
being number one is super significant, being that it, it really made Philippe Dufour, uh, you know, who he is today, or it was one of the accomplishments that made him who he is today. Um, and just that story in itself, I think, is significant. The next one is a George Daniels anniversary number zero zero, which is the first of four examples made in platinum. Unquestionably, one of the finest historically important wristwatches ever made. Um, it was launched in twenty ten. Um, Forty seven George Dan since its following its launch in twenty ten. Forty seven George Daniel anniversary watches were were made. Thirty five in yellow gold, four in white gold, four in rose gold, and four examples in platinum among which number zero zero, the very first of the series, epitomizes the unparalleled legacy. So you've got essentially one of the most important Philippe Dufour's number one of four made, being number the first one that was made. You've got number zero zero um, of the platinums that were made by, by um, George Daniels, uh, another watch that was groundbreaking for this watchmaker. There's also, um, the third watch is an 18 karat rose gold Rolex Esteline, uh, uh, reference 6062. One of, it, it, for me, I mean, looking at the pictures of it, it's one of the, it's an extremely well-preserved 6062 with extremely, uh, a case that's in extremely good condition, um, which, uh, was once owned by Gordon Bethune, who was, um, he was a globally recognized watch collector and actually a, the previous, a, a previous CEO of Continental Airlines. One of the other things that I really love about this piece is, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, it has incredible oxidation on the sides of the case, and I think it gives it so much more personality. The, the condition of the dial is also immaculate, um, and so being an incredible condition dial, uh, untouched case, it's every Rolex collector's dream, I think, for, for something like this. Another really, really significant piece in this watch, I think, was actually auctioned fairly recently. Um, and I'll, um, I'll get the dates for you here really quickly, because um, I don't want to uh, misspeak about this. Um, but, uh, bear with me while I kind of quickly scroll through here. Um, there's a really great article on Hodinkee about this, but it is, uh, Marlon Brando's iconic Rolex reference 1675 GMT from Apocalypse Now. Uh, without the GMT bezel, the original bracelet, and original bracelet, which was removed by the actor. This watch was worn by Brando's character, uh, Colonel Walter E. Kurtz, in Francis Ford's Coppola's uh, 1979 classic. Um, so, you know, if you're a Rolex collector, if you're a fan of Marlon Brando, uh, this brings, obviously, a lot of eyes. It's a unique GMT master, which uh, has been modified by the uh, actor himself, and again is a, a very significant part of the, um, really the history of, of Rolex and the history of watch collecting. So just by these four watches, you can tell that this collector is very strategic and 
very um, focused in how he wants to collect watches. And if this these four watches are any indication about what else is to come with this watch auction, I think this is probably going to be one of my favorite, if not one of the best auctions of the Geneva auction uh, season. And I'm really looking forward to this because of how much it resonates with life on the wrist. As I mentioned, there'll be links in the show notes to... Uh, I'll leave a link in the show notes to Christie's, the, the auction, and then also to the Christie's post so you can see the watches. And then I'll also leave a link to the Philips auction. Um, I won't link our Instagram. It'll already be in the show notes. But hopefully when you listen to this podcast, the auction catalog will be open for, and you can see some of the other lots that uh, Philips uh, will have during this, uh, during this uh, auction. If you are new to Life on the Wrist, be sure to follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this podcast on. And if you wouldn't mind rating us, read us, help get this podcast out to those who might enjoy it, similar to how you probably enjoyed this podcast. If you wouldn't mind sharing this podcast really with a friend who might be interested in watching it, read us, help me out. You can check out some of our articles and videos on our YouTube channel and our website if you want to read or watch some more content about watches, I highly recommend you go there. There'll be links in the show notes to all of that information. And on that note, I hope you guys have a nice rest of your day, and we will catch you in the next one.